Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name... It's Caleb Hegg. With me, as always, Avahoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Just call me TR Mughead today. <laughs> yes. For those who are going to see it on the video, you can't. The radio listeners can't get the effect. How's it but going, man? There's a there's a TR coffee mug where my head should be. <laughs> oh man, this is going to be an interesting show already. <laughs> uh, what up and shalom to everybody. Out there in listener land, and what up and shalom to everybody in to the very small group, but a good group in our chat room. Hey, Daniel Coulter's in in the chat room today. Good to see you, brother. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so what up and shalom to everybody in there. And uh, yeah, it's Daniel's first time in the chat room. That's why I mention it. So always good to see new faces in the chat room. Um, it's been an interesting week. I like to, you know, I usually like to like fully prepare for this show on Mondays and I, I've just had so much going on. I feel like I'm very underprepared. However, it's uh, at the same time, Rob, I also feel like we have so much to talk about. We could fill hours with the content of this show. Uh, what have you been up to, man? How you been? We just had a wonderful birthday party for my dear mother last night. Surprise. We've got uh, family from out of town all this week. Oh, nice. And so we had a, a, she really didn't catch on. We were afraid that she might sniff something was in the air. Wait, hang on just a sec. Wait, wait, wait. So you have all this extra family come into town and she doesn't get the. No, she knows the family's in town. But see, her birthday's officially not for like another two weeks. And so she didn't, wasn't thinking. And we had this, uh, my sister picked out this really nice place and had catered dinner and everything. And it surprised her, and oh, what a blessing! What a blessing! Sweet, family. sweet. Yeah. So, I, so uh, it, anyway, so I'm still kind of echoing from all that last night. Right on. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been. You know, the summer is such a weird time for me because I always am like, yeah, I'm gonna read all these books, or yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go through my Hebrew book again and and really bone up on my Hebrew, or you know, I have like all these great plans. And then summer gets here, and I'm so busy that there's no ability to do anything except for the projects that have been laid in front of me. And now, all of a sudden, uh, you know, I have to start thinking about our travel, our traveling for, for work and all that kind of stuff. Rob's presenting a paper at this year's ETS, or is it the SBL? SBL. SBL. Yeah. SBL. And my father's presenting at the ETS and the SBL, which is all going to be in Atlanta this year, which will be awesome. I'm excited for that. Yeah. So, okay, let's get to, let me see here. I, I apologize for uh, the slowness of this show. Let me get back to my show notes here. Um, so, last week we talked about the kosher laws, and we talked about Mark 7, 719, okay? And that whole conversation actually was from, was inspired by a question that was posed by my cousin, who actually lives over where Van Hoff is. And... Uh, 
So we talked about that, and then my cousin followed up with a with an email again, and uh, he's you know he's asking my now for those who might not know, uh, obviously my my cousin is part of the uh, uh, Christian church. He's not a messianic. He doesn't attend a messianic congregation. You know, I I would say that he. Uh, holds to a traditional Christian view of the Torah, I think, I, I believe. Um, and so he wrote, he, he followed up after listening. He listened to the show. I sent him a link to the show and I said, Hey, here's, here's an answer to your question. Here's an hour and 10 minute answer to your question. He wrote back and he says, uh, and I've edited this a little bit, um, but he just to take out, you know, the beginning and everything. Anyway, he says the last part of verse 19 seems to me to be a bow on the package. If you take the KJV translation, you are still left with Jesus stating two times that whatever goes into the body, that is food, does not defile him, but is passed through. But what comes out of the heart is what defiles him. Okay, I, t- I totally agree with you. There's a, couple of, there's a couple of things that need to be addressed here, though. I love that he says, whatever goes into the body, and then my cousin puts food in brackets. Does not defile him. So the question that I would have for those who believe that Mark 7 is uh, talking about kosher laws and not about ritual purity in terms of if my hand is ritually in, um, impure and I touch food, it becomes ritually impure. Now, we have to remember that back in back in the first century, and at, this, this debate still goes on today amongst Jews and Gentiles and amongst even Messianics, unfortunately. The idea of a Gentile, a Jew cannot eat in the house of a Gentile, right? This is something that still goes on today. When I was debating the college rabbi, who's a, a Chabad, part of the Chabad, uh, I said, you're more than welcome to come over to my house for Arab Shabbat anytime you want. And uh, another person chimed in on, uh, on the thread and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, you can't go over to this guy's house he, because he is not Jewish. He's a Gentile, and you aren't allowed to eat in a Gentile's house. So this this debate of Jew and Gentile not being able to eat together is still something that rages today. So all these things were going on, but the idea of an unclean hand touching or even an unclean person, which would include a Gentile to the Jews of this time, uh, touching food and then eating it, right? What what I get from this verse is that Yeshua is saying, no, no, no. It, it doesn't ma- None of that matters. What matters is what's in the heart of a person. So the, the issue that Yeshua is bringing up is, is the heart, heart of a person. My cousin here, he says, uh, so whatever goes into the body, then he puts food in brackets. This is interesting because, um, and I actually wrote him an email back, but the question that I have for people is, do you believe that Yeshua sanctions the eating of human flesh in this verse? Because... According to that's, acor- a, that's a good answer, you know. According to the Christian view, this uh, you know, it, it, f- you can eat anything, right? So as long as a human dies of natural causes, are we allowed to then eat human flesh? Now, I can pretty much guarantee that most Christians are going to say no. You can't you can't eat human flesh. The question is why. The other thing that I'd bring up is in the first century, the Jews would not think of pork or shellfish as food any more than they would think of grandma dying on her own being food. Because the Torah specifically says you're not to eat it. It's not food. 
Caleb, what you're saying is true. However, there's a nuance here in Mark 7 and in Matthew 15 that we have to also take in mind, and that is this. And I think your cousin and I think everybody, even the the most evangelical Torah done away with Christian in America would agree that the context set up is, a, is Yeshua contrasting traditions of men with the word of the written word word yeah exactly right okay and he's the whole the whole argument is the criticism against people who have elevated tradition the, these traditions of the elders that are not biblical commandments over the actual commandments of of the word of god i completely agree right? he even says that okay. he even says that in the in the prayer verse right and then the other thing we need to realize is this passage in mark 7 and the parallel in Matthew 15 is that the verb to defile how in in 7:15 how does how does your cousin's verse translate that did it word use the word defile yeah uh let's say nothing well let's see here let's just go to the KJV hang on just a second oh was it the KJV that he had well he says even in the KJV so he's he he's He's saying, okay, I, I'll accept I can, your... I can pull that up here. Basically what he's saying is, I accept your um, your translation. So The KJV uses defile. So there's, here's the KJV. Okay, so for, yeah, 715 for, says, There is nothing outside of the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the thing which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Okay, so the word defile here. Defile yeah. is what we're talking about. This is not a term from the Torah. This is a this is a a new category, an innovation that the Pharisees had made. Do we separating, see it? This is not a word. This is not the same word used for unclean food or when a like the like uh, when like a leprosy. You know, the certain man is unclean or for whatever reason, uh, unclean by a corpse. The Torah has very clear, uh, consistent use of particular words there. And the Greek Torah translation follows suit. Very specific words. That's not what the word, the, the word used here to defile is, doesn't even occur in the Greek Torah. And it, it's a Pharisaic category. It's a new category that they've created to add a purity stringency to what the actual Torah is. So do we see that in any uh, uh, non-canonical literature of the first century? Yes. Yes. So what you're saying, okay, let me, let me see if I can unpack this. So what you're saying is this. Yeshua is using words here, is not used in the Torah, but is used in other quote-unquote, I know this is anachronistic, "Quote unquote rabbinical work of the first century, or not? Let's say not rabbinical work, non-canonical work of the first century." Correct. Correct. And so this should signal to us that he's speaking about something very specific. It's a, it's a Pharisaic uh, category that was an, uh, uh, if we want to use the word halakhic, a halakhic innovation. It was a new type of uh, uh, labeling system that did not stem from the written Torah, that they were imposing on people. And Mark 7 starts out because it says that they washed with 
koinos, that is unwashed hands, mm-hmm. at the beginning of Mark 7. Koinos, this word koinos does not, it, and they're labeling things, they put this K, think of K for koinos instead of kosher. Anything that has a K on it, you need to avoid or you need to wash it off before you can eat a meal. And Yeshua is taking it and he's spinning it on, he's spinning the category on themselves. He says, if you want to talk about something being koinos, then it's the sin, it's the transgression it's what's of in the, the heart. Word of God yeah. in man's heart yeah. that makes him koinos. So I'm, I'm working on this right now. I'll probably get a book out of it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's, it, it is not, and that's where the problem is with our translations. We see defile or unclean, and we automatically think that it's talking about tame. It's talking about uh, the things that the Torah defines as uh, contagious or with uncleanness, and it's not. It's a, it's a different word altogether. Okay, Yeshua, so- it's contra- he's contrasting traditions of men, traditions of the, of the Pharisees that are independent of the written scripture. And he's saying, you've, you're taking these, you have many of these such traditions that you are upholding over the actual word of God and you're missing the word of God itself. And that's what's at issue here. I totally, not, I, I it, totally it's agree. It's not, uh, it, but in the problem, what we're getting is that people think that Yeshua is talking about a Torah category when he says nothing enters into a man's mouth, defiles him. Yeshua is using their rhetoric. He's using the Pharisaic terminology back on themselves to make the point of, of sin. And then the, what does he give? He gives the list of things um, that, you know, that are in the heart. Those are all transgressions of the, of the written word of God. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Um, I totally agree with you, but this is actually a conversation that we had last week, right? So let's 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 move on topic because I found yeah, right. something during our during your exposition here on Mark seven that is totally unrelated. But I but I feel like now that I've found it, I must I must read this to you and to, to our audience. This from um, well, I found it on Facebook. I this is not in your show notes because I just found it. Um, this is posted by, you know who Izzy Avraham is? Um, does he teach Hebrew yes. online? Yes, okay. he teaches Hebrew online. He has a, the the site. He wears like, I've seen him like wear like a construction hat or something. He like uses creative. Yeah, and he and he has the, he has the website Holy Language Institute. Now, I take exception to him calling the Hebrew language the holy language, but whatever. Oh, uh, I remember that, yeah. Ni- I, I, ni- that, neither true. here nor there. This from... Uh, I don't even know what, where this is from. It's called, it's an article called The Hebrew Roots Movement Following Jewish Customs But Worshiping Jesus. Now, I'm only going to read about three paragraphs of this, but listen real quick. Uh, JNS.org. Jason was raised in a typical modern Christian home in the United Kingdom. He opened, uh, he opened pre- uh, presents on Christmas and ate chocolate on Easter as he uh, ebbed and flowed in his faith. In his 30s, he decided he was ready to have God as a constant presence in his life. Quote, I started looking online and more modern ways of expressing my religious faith. I was interested in reading uh, more about what Christians call the Old Testament, explains Jason, who asked 
that his name, his last name not be used in the, the article. Jason discovered Izzy Avraham, founder and executive director of Holy Language Institute and leader of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Uh, I'm sorry. I just think it's funny that they call Izzy Avraham the leader of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Where did you find this? <laughs> Izzy Avraham po- posted it, laughing about it on on his Facebook page. <laughs> I think it's funny that Izzy Avraham's the one who l- was laughing about it. He, he was like, "I didn't know that I was the leader of the Hebrew Roots Movement." Okay, I'm sorry. That was a total rabbit trail. Let's move on. So, uh, there's one more thing that my uh, my cousin said in his email actually there's two more things but we're only going to cover one of them okay and um it was this and this we could i mean we could talk about this all day long we're not going to but we could he says um and i know even less about the sacrificial laws but why are there no more animal sacrifices this is an excellent question one that i'm actually working on right now and something i'm writing there aren't yeah, exactly. You don't have any more? Well, and actually, when I wrote him an uh, email back, what I said was, well, let, to better answer your question, let me ask you some questions. And then I asked him about, do you believe in a in a thousand-year reign of the Messiah, a literal thousand-year reign, millennium of the, the Messiah on the earth? Um, do you believe, the, you know, do you believe in a pre-trib rapture? All these questions are I posed because... It really depends. If a person says, oh, no, I don't, I believe in a pre-trib rapture, what does that pretty much tell us? Most likely, it tells us that they are dispensational. Now, we've talked about dispensationalism on this show before. My grandparents were staunch dispensationalists. My father was raised dispensationalist, as was my uncle. Both my uncle and my father have left, have left the dispensational theology and are both quite, uh, I don't know, what would I say? They're forces to be reckoned with if you believe in dispensational belief because they grew up in it. That's, I guess that's how I'll put it. Um, anyway, so uh, people who are dispensationalists, we have other issues that we would have to talk to first. Um, there are major problems with dispensationalism. But if you're not a dispensationalist, then this actually is a very uh, easy question to answer. The reason we don't have uh, animal sacrifice currently at this time is because we were only we were told that we can only sacrifice in one place. That place is the temple in Jerusalem. That place is since the seventh century has been occupied by the Muslims, and we have not been able to sacrifice on the Temple Mount. Okay. Um, and so the, I think the ultimate question, I, what I kind of am reading into this question for my cousin is, uh, why, don't, you know, why, why are the animal sacrifices done away with now? I think that's kind of what I'm getting. And the answer in my book is they're not. We will sacrifice again. And that's a huge shock to a lot of Christian believers. But the point is, is that we will sacrifice again. And we know this because the Bible tells us we will. Ezekiel even says that there will be sin sacrifices again in the new temple. That's uh, in between Ezekiel, what, 40 and 50, chapters 40 and 50. And basically that whole, that whole uh, section of, of Ezekiel is talking about the new temple and the different sacrifices that we'll have. And, of course, the end of Zechariah says that all the nations will go up and celebrate Sukkot. And what are some of the requirements of celebrating Sukkot? Sacrifices. Sacrifices. Yeah. Um, so expand on this for me, Rob. What do you think? Um, why, don't, why don't we have sacrifices right now? I think for, what, what resonates for me is just the destruction of the temple. 
that that we're forced no because nowhere does scripture say that the Torah has been done away. We never get that. That's just not anywhere in the scripture. But yet God that clearly there's a judgment by the temple having been destroyed. And so we're left in this world where what you said is true. It hasn't been done away. But yet we're also forced to reckon with the situation of the absence of of the priesthood in the temple. Uh, you know, one stream of Christian theology interprets that as the destruction of the temple is the statement that the Torah has been done away. Right? And there's no priesthood. See, it's all been done away. So then they read and kind of spiritualize those you know everything i think that the belief that the that the sacrificial system has been done away with ultimately comes from a and maybe an unconscious idea that that sacri- that the sacrificial system uh dealt with sin in, sin in some way shape or form hebrews 10 tells us specifically the blood of bull and goats never did anything to deal with with sin right, right. it never took sin away so then the question has to be, what was, the, what was the sacrificial system for? Why did we bring a sin offering if it didn't do anything for sin? And the, ulti- I mean, the, the end answer to that has to be that it pointed to the Messiah, right? It was a picture. God was trying to show us that, that sin, that there was a consequence for sin. That sin was given uh, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. The soul that sins shall surely die. So the sacrificial system is set up to show us about sin and what has to happen to deal with sin. Death of an of an innocent one has to take place. It's pointing to the Messiah. Okay, and we have this. Not only does it show, not only is it a picture, but it also God set up a temporal uh, way things work. Uh, the temple is representative of His presence. Uh, to be able to come into the temple precinct, you have to be ritually clean. The only way that you can become ritually clean from corpse defilement, which we are all currently in the state of right now, is by the uh, ashes of the red heifer. Except you and I are in the state of Washington, so we're clean. Uh, I, I think that may, I think that means it makes us even okay. more okay. unclean. <laughs> Bad joke. Anyway, so okay, so the point is, is that. Uh, uh, it's a picture and a picture works both ways, right? Before it was looking forward of what the Messiah would do in, uh, the third temple, which Ezekiel talks about, it seems to me that the sin sacrifice is a pointing back of what, of that point in time when Yeshua died on the cross and beyond that, it also in the, in the uh, millennial reign, it seems as though, uh, we still have clean and unclean in our world. And to be able to enter the temple precinct, we will have to, uh, sacrifice animals. That would be my answer to that. Okay, let's move on. I well, got real quick. Real yeah, quick. go for I, it. Uh, one of our our chat room uh, buddies, buddies, friends, uh, iconoclast. I, uh, he's got a great. Uh, That's not here. his real name. <laughs> yeah, I know. The destruction of the temple is the statement that the Torah is done away. That was an interpretation he points out that we see by the some of the early church fathers. In their arguments, and I, you know, I, I think he's right on there. It'd be interesting to go and actually pull all the, the examples of that. But I, I, I also want to give some breathing room to our, to those, uh, 
the early church fathers because this because in the in the time where the the early church was being persecuted they didn't have power they didn't have money and it was hard for them when they were interacting with you know uh well well funded stable um uh, Jewish communities and synagogue communities that had been around for centuries, and their and that the Torah, written Torah was woven in in the Jewish life with all sorts of traditions that they didn't have the discernment. They they weren't super sharp on discerning the word of God from from the traditions of men, and so uh, I think that in some of these things they are arguing against people, and they're just you know, making statements like, well, you know, because they're arguing with people that have rejected Yeshua. They've rejected the gospel. And so they're pointing out, well, look, you don't even have a temple. You, you're, you know, your you, your worldview has been completely shaken up. And they're trying to draw on uh, those kind of historical facts to to build an argument. You know, anyway, just a side, side note. Speaking of notes, let's move to our show notes. Um, have, have we done a show on the uh, New Covenant before? I think we have. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive we have. We've done a show on the New Covenant. This is one that seems to be cropping up a lot right now, and I'm not sure why. My father's done an entire teaching, four-part teaching on the New Covenant called, uh, well, I suppose we renamed it, uh, The New Covenant, God's Promise Fulfilled is what it was renamed to. Um, let's listen to a clip about the New Covenant. Well, actually, let's read a uh, let's read the passage first. Let's see here. What was it? Jeremiah 31, 31, right? Jeremiah 31, I think it's 31, 31 through 34. Sorry, I changed my, I moved my uh, Bible marker here. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Um, what a wonderful promise. Yeah, exactly. That's, I, we, build on, we, we build on that promise. We, we trust that promise. We can't, you know, we, <laughs> we need God to write his Torah on our heart. Why? Because our nature is... We don't want to be. We don't want to obey anybody. We don't want to be told what to do by anybody. <laughs> so Mark says, uh, Caleb, you did a short video on it a while back, but I don't remember an an R and B show on it. Now that would be a, a fun show. Let's get rid of the Robin the R and C show, the Robin Caleb show. Let's start doing the R and B show. The last letter of your name, <laughs> Caleb. It's like. Bookends. Rob and Caleb. 
RB. Man, you are really hitting the bad jokes there. That's bad. That's bad. Okay, here we go. Um, let's listen to this. This is, <laughs> I found this on the internet. This is a gem. Listen to this one. Okay, so back in Exodus, Israel were slaves to Egypt. God saw that his people were being oppressed by Egypt. So God tells Moses to save them, right? Lead his people through the Red Sea to safety. And then God entered a covenant with them, right? That's the old covenant. What was the covenant? God says, I bore... Okay, hang on just a second. So he says that this is important because a lot of people... This is a key point here. Listen to what he says again. I want to replay this. Right? That's the old covenant. Okay, what's the old covenant? What does he say the old covenant is? To safety. And then God entered a covenant with them, right? That's the old covenant. Okay, so he's saying that God, the, the covenant that God entered with Israel at Mount Sinai after he brought them through the Red Sea, the covenant that he made with them on Mount Sinai is the old covenant. You're going to hear this from uh, many Christians time and time again. They'll throw the word old covenant around as if everyone knows what they're talking about. What this gentleman does is he actually tells us, he clarifies what he means by old covenant. And what he means by old covenant is the Torah that was given at Mount Sinai. Actually, we're going to go on and hear that he doesn't even believe that. But anyway, so when someone says old covenant, they have to define their terms because if they say old covenant and they are actually talking about the Old Testament, or if they're talking about the Torah or the covenant that was made with Moses on Mount Sinai, we have a huge, huge problem. Because if that's the case, then whoever wrote Hebrews and uh, Paul disagree with Yeshua on the quote-unquote old covenant. Because Yeshua says in Matthew 5.17 and following that it will not pass away until heaven and earth passes away. So if the old covenant is actually the Old Testament or the Torah, then according to Jesus, we are still under the quote-unquote old covenant. But according to Paul, we're not. I wonder, and I also like to throw this fact out, the, the term old covenant is only used one time in the entirety of the New Testament. Of course, your translators supply it a bunch of times in uh, the book of Hebrews, even though it's not in the book of Hebrews uh, where, where they say it is. Okay, let's keep going with this. What was the covenant? Yes, God sir. says, I bore you on eagle's wings. I took you out of slavery. I took you out of bondage. And now I want to enter a covenant with you. I want you to be my special people. I want you to be my peculiar people. And so they enter into a covenant. What was the covenant? I will be faithful to you if you are faithful to me, God says, right? I will give you blessings. You will be my peculiar, my my special people if you're faithful to me. Okay, now hang on just a sec. I, I want to stop here again. I'm sorry to keep stopping, but he's actually right about what the covenant is. What the what what the Sinai covenant is. That's right, not the old. But he's he's not giving the framework of the Abrahamic covenant. Well, in other words, okay. But now we're talking about two different covenants. Okay, so there's different covenants throughout the Bible. Well, this is why. I mean, in the beginning, he's like, well, God saw that his people were being uh, enslaved by Egypt, and 
and so he wanted to send Moses to save them. Well, that implies some sort. Why would God have a people already that yeah. he wanted to save? Yeah. If he hadn't made it, if there was no covenant, why did God have people that were in bondage in Egypt? Okay, and and, and we're talking now about the. It's because it promised to Abraham. Yeah, Abraham a covenant, right? Which is which is unconditional. That <laughs> he's going to do it. He's God's going to do this, and so uh, this person who we're listening to here, uh, which I don't know if you gave the name of who the guy is or not, but he. Uh, it's in the show notes. It's like he's he's starting an episode. You know. Well, the, the other the other pro, the other problem is is okay. Let, he talks about God bringing the people out of Egypt and then saying, "You're going to be my people." Well, they already the descendants of Jacob were already the chosen people, but now God brings a multitude out of a mixed ethnic multitude of people that He's calling Israel right out of Egypt. He's going to make a covenant with them, and He makes that covenant. He says, you're going to be my people. You're going to worship me. I'm going to give you and I'm going to sanctify you unto me. Here are the rules and the, and the laws and the blessings, the privileges of said covenant that you will get if you stay faithful to me, right? This is the Sinai covenant or the Mosaic covenant. Now, the problem that this guy has is that he's say, saying that the old, the quote unquote old covenant is the Mosaic covenant which Yeshua clearly states it is not. Right? He tells us that that uh, heaven and earth will not pass away. Well, you know, or that, uh, I'm sorry, that heaven and earth will pass away before the, the, the uh, Moses and the, and the law will pass away. Right? Matthew 5, 17. Okay, let's keep going with this guy. And in Israel says, everything that God had said, we will do. So what were the terms of the covenant? What was the agreement? We already know that God is always faithful, right? But what did Israel have to do in order to be faithful to God? What did they have to follow? What was the original law that God gave Israel? It was the Ten Commandments. <laughs> um, <clears throat> nope, it wasn't the Ten Commandments. That was the that was possibly what was written on the on the two tablets, but the entirety of the of the covenant covenantal terms are what are laid out in the Torah. It's not ten commandments. The rabbis put an abstract number on it, six hundred and thirteen. I would debate that, but whatever. So it's way more than just the ten commandments. So this shows a little bit of the, I don't know what better word to use, a little bit of the ignorance. When it comes to the person talking about the law, and that doesn't necessarily reflect on him personally, but perhaps the teachers that he's had, or the pastors that he's had, who have taught him uh, what he's what he's talking about now. Um, so, you know, and I'm not trying to come down on him personally because, honestly, this is probably just something that that his pastor has taught him that the that the original terms of the covenant were the Ten Commandments. But I'm sorry, that's just not true. Anything to interject before we keep going with this guy? If if the ten words are God's covenant, yes. Where does God give his what he's going to do? Ooh, good point. In other words, the ten words are, you know, don't you know, you will not do this. You know, you will, you know, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. And then all the, you will not, you will not, you will not. 
the only statement uh, well he says I at the beginning he says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, Egypt yeah. right but there's if we just look to the ten words to to try to define what the covenant of Sinai is that's we're going to have a hard time seeing the whole the, seeing what we think of when we think of a, a covenant in the ancient Near East. What we need to know what both parties, you know, if we're going to define covenant as something that uh, as an agreement that there are uh, obligations for both parties and promises and blessings and curses, etc. We got to get. We got to look beyond the uh, just the ten words. That's just another little note there. You can Google it. Okay, let's keep going with this guy. This was the law that Israel had to follow if they want to be faithful to God. What happens if they break the law? Sin is transgression of the law, and death is the penalty for sin. So, what happens if they break the law, the original law, the Ten Commandments? They were put to death. Okay, hang on just a sec. He's and I'm so, we're going to keep stopping this. So I'm going to quit apologizing. But that's not true. You weren't put to death uh if you there's there's laws within the 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 10 commandments that you're not put to death for, right? Are all of them capital punishments? Well, that's where the rabbis say because uh where it says lotignov, it's which is thou shalt, you know, thou shalt not steal. They read that as like a kidnapping or something. Yeah, because but, they're saying it should be a death penalty associated with it. But I'm not asking what the rabbis say. I mean, really, do you think that all of the Ten Commandments, all of the Ten Commandments, uh, require a death penalty? I, it seems so. You really? Yeah. See, because I would say that stealing requires a a fifth. About no, that's what I mean. That's why they read it as the, the rabbis ask that same question. Sure, but the rabbis they, read it that way. It's, but it's got to be. It's it means kidnapping. I'm just. I don't know. The the other is that wow. the coveting. A, a a human court. How can a human court convict someone of coveting? Of coveting yeah, it's inside. It's it's uh, internal. And would that would that constitute a, a death penalty? That's different. Yeah, I mean, not by a human court. I, I, we don't have any examples in the we have we have example of someone being put to death for breaking Shabbat. So we my have point an example of someone cursing God's name and being put to death, but we don't have an example of someone coveting and being convicted. You know. Okay, so so my point stands though. In the Torah, you don't have it say if you covet, if a person covets, they, then uh, put them to death, then stone them, right? Correct. Okay, so not every single one of the Ten Commandments. Requires the death penalty, correct? I, I guess we we could say that. I think it's a good topic for for discussion. Okay, okay, let's keep going. Then we'll give it to him. We'll give it to him. We'll give this guy the the. Uh, I'll 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 uh I'll let you win on this point. So we'll say that all of the Ten Commandments require the death penalty. Let's keep going with this guy. With, and, and and the objection has been noted. Yeah, uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Okay, here we go. So what do you have to do in order to get right with God? Sacrifice a lamb. So that was the old covenant. If you break the law, you're sinning because sin is transgression of the law and the penalty for sin is death. What's the plan of salvation? The lamb. The spotless, the clean lamb will take your place in death. 
And okay, so I'm pretty sure that this guy has really showed his car his his hand here. This well, he, he, I, I mean, I I want to say he's at least wrestling with the idea of substitutionary. I agree. Uh, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that's good. That's good that he's latched onto that. I completely agree. And also, I'll say this. You know, the guy's passion and zeal in the video. This is this video is eleven minutes long, by the way. I feel like this guy is really, you know, he's he's trying. I just feel like he's been a little bit ill-informed. Oh, I'm so, re- I'm reading something in the chat room. So this person oh, says, <clears throat> "Sorry, this person says, Shalom, can you touch on the use of new uh, or renewed covenant in the Damascus document from the Dead Sea Scrolls?" Hmm. Uh, I can't. <laughs> oh well, yeah, they. they uh, that's a great question. So the term Brit Chadasha is used. The term Brit is used. Uh, other times in in the Dead Sea Scroll legal, you know, the community's legal uh, text, uh, implying that it's what they think of as Brit Hadasha. They believe that they were the fulfillment of the scriptures. They believed they were the true priesthood. They believed that uh, the priests that were at at the time officiating in Jerusalem were corrupt. That they were not. Uh, they, their procedures were corrupt. They they were not truly fulfilling the Torah. They believed that God was going to come and uh, take away and put restore them into into running the show in, at the Jerusalem Temple. And they believed that they were uh, the fulfillment of all all manner of Bible prophecy. I mean, look at they have the Pesher Habakkuk Pesher Nachum. All these different texts that are basically from the prophets, and then they have a line, and then they say, "And this is us," you know, and then another line, and this is the bad guys, you know, this is the teacher of righteousness. They they really believed that they were the fulfillment of all manner of Bible prophecy. Boom! Have a question? Ask Rob Van Hoff. Ask Van. Okay, um, so let's keep going with this guy. The spotless, the clean land. Okay, yeah, I stopped this originally because I wanted to say he kind of tips his hand because it sounds to me like what he's saying here is that originally under the old covenant, as he's now terming the Sinaitic covenant, what got you back right with God was the uh, was the, the sacrifice of an animal. There's major problems with this. Number one, if the sacrificial system actually worked to take away sin, then... Uh, then why in the world would God send his only son to die on the cross? He had a system that, that worked, right? It was, yeah, that's the idea. It's like he tried plan, plan A. And it didn't work. Plan, plan A. Oh, man. Back to the drawing board. It's like Wiley e. Coyote, you know, back to the drawing board. Yeah, exactly. Different. So, so and no. That's, that's, they're actually, that's part of dispensationalism, right? Is, that, is, that, is it true to say that all dispensationalists believe that it was a plan A and then a plan B or no. did they just say so those are okay we want to be clear that those aren't the same so dispensationalists would actually not uh, not differ in term well I shouldn't say that uh, some some would but I, I don't think it's necessarily within dispensationalism I don't think it's necessarily the idea of salvation so those ideas don't have to necessarily be attached no what 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 uh, 
what I think changes mainly. Now there uh, there are exceptions because I think that uh, that uh, someone like uh, Dr. Paul Wagner is going to actually agree with you that that uh, that basically King David was not saved. His, his when he died, his soul was put into a waiting area, and once the Messiah died, then then the blood was attributed to him. Anyway. Um, I, but what I think is mainly going on in dispensationalism is this idea of justification, or I, I'm sorry, of sanctification. So sanctification is what changes uh, within within the. There's a dispensation of, uh, and the people of God <laughs> change too. There was a dispensation of Israel and the law. That was that dispensation, and the the Jewish people and the law were God's plan. And then okay. he puts that onto the shelf, and he pulls down the church age. Daniel made a comment, and we should clarify this. Caleb, read, would you read that? So the, how do he we says, respond? Even, he says that oh. they call and point to Hebrews saying that sacrifice paid for sin. I think they're misreading Hebrews. Yeah, absolutely. Hebrews is saying no. It never uh, that, that the high, From the high priest Aaron on the way down, those, those priests offering sacrifice never once believed that, that this was... Uh, eliminating sin and if they did they were wrong yeah if they did they were wrong isaiah isaiah even tells us that in the very first chapter quit bringing your stinking sacrifices they're they're uh they're rotting in my nostrils right and and right isaiah is a cohen yeah exactly he's a priest and in what does he say in isaiah 6 i am undone i'm a man of unclean lips dwell among a people of unclean lips and i've seen the lord of glory so here's this idea of even a priest who's uh they they know they they're shaking in their shoes, offering these uh, sacrifices, especially the sin offerings, because they know okay we're doing what's commanded, but the people are just getting worse. <laughs> and Andre Andre posts the verse that we've alluded to ten uh, Hebrews ten four for it is impossible for the blood blood of bull and goes to take away sin. All right, so let's keep going yeah, with this that's, guy. I'm glad Daniel you brought that up because we we do want to be ready and kind of have our thoughts together when we encounter brothers and sisters yeah. who uh, have just taken a shallow, you know, initial kind of reactive reading of that. And they haven't, they haven't. Do you really think that that's choosing. what it is though? I, I think, think they it's want, they, I they think don't it's want to be challenged. They, who, they don't want their lifestyle. Challenged. It's not just that man. I, I look, I, I've been, uh, maybe this is a rabbit trail. I don't know. I've been watching this documentary on China and communist China. Okay. And, uh, the citizens in communist China and try, them trying to, you know, basically have f- freedom from communism. And they keep going back to like, oh, you know, this guy keeps saying, oh, my father, you know, he was he was a free thinker. He was a you know, he was an intellectual and they didn't like intellectuals back in the 50s and whatnot. So what did they do? They shipped him off to camps and in the camps, they reconditioned them with constant propaganda and whatnot back to communism. I'm sorry to equate the church with communist China, but I kind of feel like since the very like since the second century, second third century, what you have is you have the church continuing this propaganda machine against Torah. And the more basically they just keep preaching it and preaching it and pushing it and pushing it. What you have is you have people who have grown up in the church, you have people who have grown up and go to seminary or you have people who convert uh, from something else into Christianity. And what are they taught automatically? And it's not even just that it's c- people come out, out and say, oh, and by the way, we believe that the Torah has been done away with. No, it's subtle 
propaganda, essentially, that's put into teachings, that's put into sermons, that's put into the, uh, the seminaries and everything, saying that this has been done away with, this is the way it all works. And the point is, is that it's not like these people who come to us and say, what are you talking about? No, we're not under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. It's not like they've been saying, they, they're sitting there going, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push against this, this Torah model. No, what's happened is they've been conditioned to continually push against it. They're not trying to be, they're not trying to be uh, uh, malicious or anything like that. It's what they truly believe because they've been conditioned by the church and by the, the seminaries to believe it. That's what I believe. Okay. Let's keep going. I just, oh, I want to go no, for it. Go uh, for it. That's a really good point. I said Isaiah was a priest. Yes. I, I don't know if I can substantiate that. Someone in the, uh, because we know that Jeremiah and Ezekiel were priests and prophets. Now that, now that someone made that note, they're like, you know, are you sure? And I'm like, you know what? I should say that. I, I don't know uh, for sure that Isaiah was a Cohen. Isaiah chapter 6 does seem to think, you know, he did seem to have access into in the temple, but um, I don't believe script, just to make that point, I don't know that scripture ever tells us plainly that Isaiah was a priest. Duly noted. It does for uh, Jeremiah and for Ezekiel. All right. Let's keep going with this guy's, uh, this guy's clip. Here we go. All righty. We'll take your place in death. And that's the reason for all the ceremonial laws. Okay, and, and we have to stop it again. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I was going to get this book off of my shelf that my father wrote, uh, and uh, Temper System Questions. He has a whole chapter on ceremonial, civil, and moral laws. And can we separate the Torah, Torah like that? In my interviewing of, of different scholars, uh, this is one of the questions that I've asked almost every scholar that I've ever interviewed is, do you believe that we can separate the Torah into c- civil, ceremonial, and moral laws? 90%, I would say, of the uh, scholars that I have interviewed say, no, it just doesn't work like that. And they're right. Uh, the Sabbath is a perfect example. It's ceremonial f- for certain. It's also moral because it, it brings along the death penalty with it. So when somebody says we have to get rid of the ceremonial laws, you can't get rid of the Sabbath if that's the case. And it also has civil aspects to it as well. And then you have, right. yep. yeah, and then you have all of the, all of the festivals have Sabbaths with, with them as well. So that means you have to hold on to the, to, to the festivals. So you can't separate moral, civil, and ceremonial. Let's keep going with this guy. Days, the feast days, feast of the tabernacle, all that good stuff. The reason for all that was because they had to sacrifice a lamb. Now, who did that lamb point to? Jesus Christ. So what's the new covenant now? Let's say someone kills me, but that killer feels really guilty. He feels bad that he killed me. And so what does he have to do in order to get right with God? Does he have to sacrifice a lamb now? No. What does he have to do? He has to repent. So because killing is a sin and he felt guilty for killing me, does he have to go through all the ceremonies, the annual Sabbath days, the feast days, and does he have to sacrifice a lamb? No. Why? Because Jesus was that lamb. Okay, so that's the end of the clip. Here's the point. What this gentleman now is saying is that under the New Testament, or the New Covenant, what we have is a model of repentance. But under the Old Covenant, what you had was a model of sacrificing the lamb. 
This is absolutely incorrect. Because Abraham was justified by faith. It was repentance and faith and the Messiah and the blood of the Messiah on the cross that saved a person under uh, the Mosaic law. I'm not going to say old covenant. But even, even Abraham offered sacrifices. Yeah, exactly. And so, did, yeah. And and are are we going to say that that uh, that King David was not, or that uh, the prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah, that they were not justified by faith? That repentance wasn't part of salvation. That all they had to do was bring a lamb. See, this right here shows a disconnect between uh, some, not all, but some Christian believers in their soteriology, in the the method of salvation that they have in their in their mind of what salvation was. I would like to posit to every one of our listeners and anyone who might have uh, might be seeing this online. I would like to suggest to you that the old covenant is any anyone who is uh is trying to uh come to salvation without the messiah. I would say that anyone who I would say that Abraham was under the new covenant. That new covenant is the blood of the messiah on the cross covering the sins of his elect. It is not time bound. Now, I know that Yeshua says, uh, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood, right? When, when, he's, when he's at the Passover Seder. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, someone was not saved by the blood of the Messiah beforehand. Rob? No, I agree. That's, that's why, I mean, we have these passages like the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, foundation of the world, etc. Um, that we're we're confronted with you know the, the difference between time as we see it as humans versus eternity from God's perspective. I mean, it's I don't know that our brains are able to really grasp that. I know that we're not. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I I don't think for a moment that Abraham or Moses or David. Um, are uh, heirs of eternal life um, for, you know, via some other path besides Yeshua. Um, And nor did I think that they viewed themselves ever, like David, thinking other than the normal uh, struggles that people have in, you know, learning to discern our, you know, our natural man versus the new the new creation but we even have you know was it it's uh psalm 51 he says create in me a, a, a new heart a clean heart restore right spirit within me that he he understands that new creation is something that god does and forgiveness is something that is found somehow through God's God's promises that He's going to do this, and as time goes by, more and more uh, is given the prophets. Abraham learned about the resurrection. We we see that, and we're told that in Hebrews eleven. He learned, he understood about the resurrection. They knew the promise that uh, uh, of the seed of the woman, for example, things that they knew, but they didn't necessarily they didn't have it all fleshed out. Uh, and I think we're told in one of the letters of Peter that that 
it said the spirit of Messiah was in the prophets, giving them uh, bits and pieces of what was to come. But they weren't they they weren't given the whole clear picture. Yeah, exactly. Isaiah. We've talked about Isaiah. Isaiah fifty three gives this this beautiful this picture, amazing yeah. picture. Yeah, I mean, you just read it and you're like, oh my goodness. Um, but he still was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Yeshua walked the earth, um, and so and now we look back and these dots connect very easily. And then we have some, you know, Jewish people who want to reject the gospel. They're trying to do whatever whatever they can to muddle up, muddy the water and make it as if those dots don't connect. Um, and uh, even to the degree that in, in Israel today, there are Orthodox Jews that are told not to read Isaiah 53 yeah. uh, without commentaries. I know that firsthand from a, from a, an actual Cohen who was a rabbi who came to faith in Yeshua. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's a mystery, and it's supposed to be a mystery. But in no way did do, do we want to be thinking about Moses and Aaron and uh, and the priesthood that they thought that they were was, saved. By... This was God's plan. You know, this is God's way of handling sin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can't believe you know time flies when you're having fun. I was I was worried that I wasn't uh, well enough prepared for this show, but I was right that we have enough content for for hours. Um, so I have another clip. I want to listen to this clip. And basically what this guy is doing is he's posing a question to a Messianic Jew who's the director of Chosen People Ministries in Toronto. Now, I took out the response that the, uh, that the guy from Chosen People Ministries actually gives to these questions. After this, so we'll respond. You and I will respond as if maybe we're being posed this question. But then after that, what I want to do is I want to go back. I want to read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 with a little bit of commentary from you and me, Rob. And we'll give our definition of what we think the new covenant actually is and what's going on. Okay? Right. Let's listen to this, uh, this clip first. Here we go. <laughs> Let me read to you some scriptures and, and you tell me which side you're on so I know where to draw the line right. before I throw the first punch. <laughs> On the one hand, God says this in Genesis 17, 13. God says, my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Yes. Okay, hang on just a sec. I know I, I'm, I'm being annoyed by stopping these. This is an interesting verse to bring up, and it's a great point. Because it says a, the covenant in your flesh will be an, an eternal covenant. Basically, it'll be signed forever. Okay? So this being the case, this being the fact that God tells us that circumcision will be the sign forever of this covenant, tells us that Paul cannot be telling us that we can't circumcise or that we shouldn't be circumcised. Something else has to be going on. Otherwise, he's contradicting the very word of God. And if that's what Paul is actually doing, then he has to be a false teacher and we have to reject what he's saying. Well, the, but... Uh... Certain people like UMJC position would say, oh, it's everlasting for Jews. Gentiles have no part of it. Okay, but, okay. And that Paul, to understand Paul, they say Paul, whenever Paul says something controversial that seems to be against circumcision, you have to think, you have to assume Paul's talking to Gentiles there and he's discouraging them. He wants to discourage them. He says, because you're not Jewish, this doesn't apply to you. And that's a big thrust behind Paul's letters. That's what but, UMJC type uh, I, okay, people I agree. Say. I agree with you. But here's the thing. If we can get all of the Christians to believe like the UMJC that 
this is for Jews, that, 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 that Jews should still be circumcising, then you know what? We only have a couple of steps to bring them over to Torah observance. And the reason That's why... Right. Okay, so describe the difference there. Well, be, this, the, the difference is that, is that uh, for instance... Done away for Jew or Gentile. Yeah, so, so the, the modern Christian view is going to be that, that the Torah has been done away for Jew and Gentile. The UMJC view is going to be that the Torah uh, never was for the Gentile, it's only for the Jews, but the Jews should still be keeping it. And therefore the... Or, or it's a cultural thing that... Or it's a cultural thing. They but are here's, invited to do. But here's the problem. And, and uh, we constantly go to Exodus, Exodus uh, what is it, 1243, I think it is. I could be off on the verse. But it says, uh, it says uh, uh, it, there shall be one law for you and for the stranger among you, for the native born and for the stranger among you. Toby Janicki of First Fruits of Zion has written on this in their blog. He said, oh, well, it's talking about the, sacri- the, the Passover sacrifice. The Torah wasn't even given at that time. And, and, and so uh, this is only talking about one specific law. Here's the problem with that theology, is that to partake in the, uh, in the Passover sacrifice, what did you have to do? You had to be circumcised. A person who wasn't circumcised couldn't eat of the Passover lamb. So therefore, you automatically have to have circumcision rolled into it. What was circumcision? It was a sign that you were taking on the covenant responsibilities and the Mosaic covenant. Therefore, all of the laws of Torah apply to the person who's circumcised. Whether or not you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you were circumcised, you took on the covenant responsibilities. And therefore, all... All of Torah applied to you. And so the UMJC position would be something like this. Yes, that's conversion. Now that person's no longer Gentile, now they're Jewish. Perfect. Show me that from the scriptures. There's not one place in any of the it's of the Caleb, Tanakh. Caleb, we need oral tradition. We need- <laughs> yes, and now we have the UMJC leaving a sola scriptura behind. We need we need the rabbis because the scripture doesn't give us all that. Once again, show me from Scripture. It's not in there. And that's the point. Okay, so let's keep going with this. I like, I, I like uh, that this guy brings up a, a nail in the coffin verse from the very beginning. But let's keep going. And God says, my covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Yes. Right? Uh, David reflects back on this in Psalm 105, verses 8 to 11. David reflects back and says, He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath he swore to Isaac, and he's confirmed it with Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan, and, and as a portion you will inherit it. On the other hand, Paul says stuff like this in the New Testament. In Galatians 3, 28-29, there's, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So is the old covenant an everlasting covenant with Israel? Yes. Ethnic Israel? No. Or <laughs> under the... Wait, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait. We have... This, this. Wait, wait. He's, he's, he's mixing up terms now. Because, yeah. because Israel is not an ethnicity. And then he pr- tries to put in ethnic Israel. So he's talking about the Jewish b- bloodline from Jacob on, right? Israel, when they came out of Egypt, was a mixture of ethnic identities. Egyptian, who knows what else. There was all sorts of different people in, in Egypt at that time. And it says that it was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. There was the, Israel 
when the when the Torah was given to Israel, it was not the Jewish people as descended from. It was it was probably predominantly that, but it was a mixed multitude, right? So ethnically, the Torah was not given to an ethnic people. It was given to a nation of people made up of different ethnicities. It would be like saying America today. (laughs) Was the Torah given to America, the ethnic people of what? Native Americans? No, America now is made up of what? All different races. The same kind of thing. So I guess there's not really that we have to expand it on. But here's that. here's another thing. This guy's mis he he's mis he's misusing the text of Galatians. I agree. Because what you had there were people's a, a community that was entertaining adopting what these influencers were saying, which had all these social categories that uh, Jews had to be separate from. The Jew, they were trying to build a, an identity of that it meant to be Jew was not to be Greek. And, and to be a male Jew was, was better than to be a female Jew. And uh, you know what I mean? And that ways of dividing up society um, that Paul says, no, you don't, this is not about exclusion. This is about inclusion. Don't, you don't judge someone based on these different criteria, but society had these ingrained uh, roles and social value to these different things. Jew, Greek, right? Slave, free, male, female. You know, in the, in the Greco-Roman society, that's, those marked you and you had different uh, things available to you because of the, the way society marked you. And the table fellowship of Messiah is not to bring those categories in. Everybody is to see, be seen as brothers and sisters with one rabbi, with one master. And that's what Paul's doing there. But he's, he's, he's taking Jew to mean the everlasting covenant, right? From, and, and he's saying that, uh, see, it no longer applies. That, I, I'm really disappointed with whoever that is. Okay. Let's let's move to uh, Jeremiah 31 right quick. And let's go through this again. Let's give our uh, our take on on the new covenant. So behold days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The first thing that we have to realize is that this is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It's not made with the nation. So my point that Israel is not ethnic uh, is not an ethnic identity. It's not the, the, the physical descendants of, of Jacob, but rather is yeah, a... Yeah, this guy didn't quote that verse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the point is, is that when you have people like uh, within the Christian faith who are saying, oh, no, we're part of, we're, you know, we, we are part of the new covenant. The, que- the question has to be, are you replacement the- theology? Do you, do you believe in replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel? If so, then you have major problems with that. Or do you believe that, I believe, I believe in what I would consider enlargement theology that the core of the of the chosen people is in fact an ethnic uh, uh, a people of of uh, descended from from Jacob but that they were to go take the Torah to the nations and in so doing Israel as a nation was supposed to be enlarged by the Gentiles we still hold ethnic identity uh, distinctions 
but while at the same time bringing the Torah, the culture of God, into those ethnic uh, distinctions. Okay? So the new covenant is only with Israel and Jacob. You're smiling. What are you smiling at? I just, just put Canada as the new Israel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just keep. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, so uh, verse 32. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them out of, uh, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. So what's the difference? What happened with the, with the covenant? They broke it, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So sanctification is still done through the Torah. Right, and we have to remember, what does the Torah say in Deuteronomy? It says the king will write a Torah. So this picture of when God says, I will write a Torah, you know, it's we're we're thinking of a king who's you know one of the images that comes to mind from the from the book of Deuteronomy is a king writing a Torah scroll you know I think that uh, people see that and they think that it's something different like God has is going to have new a whole new set of commandments it's not and so no but look look at the next verse this is the this is what I find so so beautiful is that he says they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the lord so the torah and the and the commands within the torah are equated with knowing god you know who god is by the commands that he's given god doesn't change right micah 6 uh, 3 6 tells us that god doesn't change and so if god doesn't change his commands can't change because they describe who god is so they will not teach again their neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. And and basically they will all be sanctified unto me through the Torah, which it says in verse uh, 33. From the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Which means that they have been justified by the blood of the Messiah. Right? So we will, we, there won't be idolatry. The difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is that we actually keep it and we do it through different means. We do it through being justified first and foremost through the blood of the Messiah, Yeshua, right? That's number one, not of our own work or anything that we've done, but through the work of the Messiah on the cross, pardon me. But then we are sanctified unto him in that we actually keep the Torah. And I think that this is one of the differences between the Old and the New Covenant is that we are sanctified unto God by keeping the Torah. And this time we actually keep it. That's right. And we look at, uh, like, one of the passages I was uh, thinking about. Oh, I lost it. I had it here. In Ezekiel, where Ezekiel says, look, give me just a second. I I had it, and then... Mm. Search for something. You know what else. this makes me realize? We need What's some, that? we need some uh, elevator search music. Oh, we totally need that. Or cricket sounds. Oh, I, I have cricket sounds. Um, I just gotta remember where they are. There you go. That, here's one. Ezekiel one. Uh, Ezekiel eleven. I will uh, give them. Uh, 
let's see here. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. Ruach Chadasha. Now, Ruach Chadasha, that's the same as Chadasha we have for Torah. It's just the feminine adjective uh, Chadash. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh. I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances, my mishpatim, to do them so that they will be my people and I shall be their God. And it goes on. uh, He has a bunch of places where Ezekiel talks about this. It's the promise of God putting us, giving us a new heart so that we'll walk in his ways. And that's one of the things that I, I don't understand is people who, they say they've been given the heart that cries out, Abba, Father. They've been given a new heart. But the next step in their brain is that means I don't have to do yeah. what he says. <clears throat> instead of, instead of I get a, to do what he says. What's that? Instead of I get to do what he says. We were sins to slave, and now we're or sins they, to Christ. Yeah, but doesn't that mean I want... Is, slaves, is, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, this idea that he, he... Why does he give us a new heart? So that we will want to walk in his ways. So I, I, I said that wrong. We were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to Christ. Which means that we get to do what he says. What he says is Torah. This just proves that, uh, you know, when we're talking about the new new covenant with, and the and quote-unquote the old covenant with, with uh, our Christian brothers and sisters, we need to be gentle and have love, but also... And on the twist of a word... Everything changes. Okay. Um, That's a a pregnant pause. Yes. Man, I got something in my throat, and I apologize for that. Anything else before we take off, Rob? No, this is is good. You know, sometimes I wonder if, is it really, do we need to rehash this again and again? But you know what? I think we do. Yes, I I guess. (laughs) We uh, do. Because not everybody understands this. Not everybody has... Some people get it, but they get it intuitively, but they they're still uh, have been bombarded with these kinds of viewpoints of the people we've listened to today in the clips. And they can use when they have like when you and I sit down and talk about it, when they are able to refresh their minds by the word, then they can come back and they'll be a little more prepared next time. And And, you know, none of us, you know, we don't get it just like that. We're works in progress. God, God refines us over time. He's patient and long-suffering. We need to remember that. That's one of the things it says. He's rav chesed ve'emet. He's abounding, abounding in in chesed, which is loving kindness and truth. So we can be thankful. It says his his chesed is uh, uh, forever, right? And endures le'olam forever. And we need to be. Uh, really uh, conscious of that so that we're not, because we can, you know, I know sometimes we might feel like we uh, have difficulties, get down on ourselves. We remember God's patient, long-suffering, and he's got that same loving kindness for our brothers and sisters that that don't see that yet, and we need to demonstrate that to them. And the best way to do that is to show them love, but also to be, uh, like it says in the scriptures, ready, uh, you know, study to show ourselves approved so that we can sit down and have anxieties aside. We don't have to get in shouting matches or name calling, but we just go right to the scriptures and, again, just reiterate the covenants 
and clarify contexts of these different scriptures. And that's why, I, you know, I'm, praise God, I'm, I'm thankful for the work of Tor Resource. Uh, you know, I have the, I have the joy and, and privilege to be part of the team now, but uh, when that, I, that wasn't even a thought in my mind, and I was benefiting from the free articles and uh, the books and studies that uh, Tor Resource has, has made available for years and years and years. And it's a ship that, that is on a straight course. Um, there's no shifting, shifting doctrines. And I just encourage our listeners, uh, maybe you're listening to us online, go on to TorahResource.com and, and look at all the material there and latch on to something and listen to some teachings, read some articles, and start to to learn to think about the New Covenant in uh, a historical, grammatical way that is pro-Torah, that's honoring Yeshua. And uh, we're excited to, to, you know, Lord willing, continue to bring this kind of material to people. I got to say that we've really only, like, scratched the surface of the New Covenant slash Old Covenant, that whole thing. So, um, you know, if you got questions, if you want to slam us for something you think that we said was wrong, email us, chag at torresource.com or vanhoff at torresource.com. Um, we'd be happy to discuss with you and or to, uh, <laughs> and or I should say to um, bring up topics and things on the air that you have sent us. So... Uh, but remember that the new covenant is really just the shed blood of our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>